This program, of course, is presented by Pro Wrestling Illustrated, the most widely read, widely sold, and respected wrestling magazine in the world today. This is Pro Wrestling Illustrated Podcast. I'm your host, PWI Senior Writer Al Castle. Back once again, going to be joined in just a moment by my co-host, Brian Solomon, and we've got a lot to talk about coming off of a fairly eventful weekend uh, in the world of pro wrestling with two major pay-per-view uh, events. Well, I guess major is up for uh, debate, uh, but Impact Wrestling had uh, its Slammiversary pay-per-view, its 18th, and uh, a lot of news coming out of uh, that show, not the least of which is a new heavyweight champion and also a number of uh, returns and debuts from um, some new faces and some faces from Impact's past. We'll cover all of that. Uh, and we'll also be talking about the horror show at Extreme Rules, uh, which we both had some pretty strong feelings on, as, as I do think uh, a lot of people who saw it uh, have. Uh, and I'll be frank, largely negative. So um, if, if you're not big on negativity, you may want to tune out now. Uh, but a fun discussion. Uh, and then later, uh, a big treat uh, for you all straight off of the pages of the latest issue of Pro Wrestling Illustrated. Uh, it is the cover girl of this uh, latest issue, the queen herself, Charlotte Flair. My hot seat interview uh, we will have the audio from uh, right here, a portion of it. If you want to read the whole thing, pick up the latest issue. Uh, but for some samplings of it, uh, stay tuned. And there is a lot to talk about. We talk about uh, her working in front of these empty arenas and how she's adjusted uh, to it. Um, and especially working in empty arena at, at WrestleMania, uh, kind of her, her role in WWE and how that's uh, evolved uh, as of late, and uh, maybe some of the backlash she's gotten from fans. Uh, so a very candid uh, interview. We also go into relationships, her relationship with Andrade, um, the prospect of uh, her having children in, in the future with Andrade and how that could affect her wrestling career. Uh, so a lot to cover uh, there uh, you'll definitely want to stay tuned and listen to what I think is uh, a very uh, newsworthy interview featured in the October 2020 issue of Pro Wrestling Illustrated, available now. And uh, to discuss that issue more, uh, let me bring in my co-host, Brian Solomon. Uh, I believe the digital edition was just released. The print edition should be hitting mailboxes pretty soon. It's the October 2020 issue with uh, Charlotte Flair on the cover. Uh, my uh, hot seat interview with her is inside, and I very much am, am proud of it and encourage you uh, to check it out. Also inside uh, the annual PWI poll, 50 uh, questions posed to our readers on some of uh, the most pressing topics in pro wrestling. And uh, Brian, you got a couple of contributions here, including um, what what is a brand new feature in uh, Pro Wrestling Illustrated, right? Yeah, it's my new column, The Lockup. Uh, this is the first edition of it. And and tell us a little bit more about the lockup. Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, I was looking for something. I'm not one of these people that, you know, I, I want to make it about myself. So, you know, I don't want to like, hey, let me introduce myself because I think the average reader is not going to care about me. They want they want to hear what I have to say or read what I have to say. So I thought, you know, there's been a lot of talk lately about Chris Jericho. And uh, now that he's, you know, kind of reinvented himself again in AEW. 
and the question of whether or not he should be considered one of the greatest of all time. And I think part of that started by Jericho himself, who <laughs> who stated unequivocally, unequivocally that he should be. And, you know, which, of course, is wrestler Ballyhoo, and they love to do that sort of thing. But it got me thinking, um, could you actually make a claim for that? And so I... Um, I kind of deal with that question in my first column. I don't want to get into too much of what my uh, of what my conclusion is because I'd like get people to buy the magazine to, to see what it was. But that's really what it's focusing on: is is can you make a claim that Jericho is truly one of the greatest of all time? Not just one of the greatest of right now, which I think nobody would dispute that but one of the greatest of all time in the history of wrestling. And so uh, that's what my first column is about. Well, not having read your, your column, uh, I think it's a fascinating question. And I think um, just in the last couple of years with his contributions in New Japan, basically his post WWE career, uh, it, I, I don't know that it makes it a given, but I, but and I imagine it's why you're writing uh, the column. His contributions over the, la- over the last couple of years really kind of beg that question, right? I mean, that's when you yeah. you kind of shift over to, uh, as he said, we, we've all known for, you know, 20 years plus now that right. he's a special talent. But now it's like, well, does he really crossed over into a, a different um, threshold? You know, the one way of, of putting it, I feel this part's almost a given, is uh, Observer Hall of Fame worthy. If, if he's not there, I don't think he's there already, is he? Um, oh, that's a really good question. I don't know off the top of my head, although... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I I have to say I I've had my issues here and there with the Observer Hall of Fame over the years. Like, there's a couple of people in there that I sometimes scratch my head over who's in and who's not in, as I think most fans do. But I'm wondering, God, if he is. Um, he certainly had enough longevity to be, because I know one yeah. of the criteria is, I believe, 25 years or 20 years. You have to be active or something like that because i know like when cena and orton became eligible for example years ago like a lot of people were scratching their heads over that yeah. but by but by dave's criteria they certainly do qualify and i think in jericho's case like you said it's really been in the past year or two that people have been making this got raising this question like for 20 even almost 30 years, he's definitely been one of the best and he's been incredible and he's worked in so many different places. But now what he's done recently has really sort of pushed him to that, to that boundary of is he or isn't he truly an all time great? I think the question can be finally like, you know, seriously asked and not just the way, you know, you know, I mean, wrestling companies always like to say that about their top guys because they're trying to put them over, of course. But Randy Orton is the greatest wrestler in the world right now, or, or so. Right, 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 <laughs> right, right, right. Who's in the Observer Hall of Fame, by the yeah. way? And Chris but, but, uh, as well. I just looked it up. He 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 got in two thousand ten. Oh, he did. He did. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, but I mean, this goes beyond just the hype of you know, just objectively looking at it as an observer, as a fan, as a writer, and thinking, you know, I mean, maybe a case can be made, and if so, then what's the reason for that? So yeah. Yeah. And actually, I don't think Randy is. I know he's been nominated for the last few years. Um, I, I don't think he's gotten in yet, but Jericho uh, is. And and uh, uh, yeah, Randy's always been kind of a borderline guy. Well, you know, and it's interesting because I think in, in some ways they're peers. Jericho's uh, he's actually quite a bit older than them, but uh, both 
were were uh, uh, big names, top draws in, in WWE in that kind of 2000s era. But um, I think clearly Jericho is is eclipsed uh, uh, Orton. That goes without saying. Yeah. So. Well, I, I think Orton's an argument in, in in for the whole situation of if you just stick around long enough. <laughs> Could you be considered one of the greats? Yeah. Just by virtue of the fact that you're there and you've always been there. Like he, he to me is the ultimate uh, test of that question. You know, do you, yeah. do you, is that all that it takes? Just, well, he's been here for 20 years. So I guess, you know, he is one of the greats. Yeah, I in 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 my column, um, quick count, uh, not the, the most recent, I don't think, maybe a few um, issues ago. I, I dealt with that. And I mentioned um, having the Observer Hall of Fame ballot in front of me, and and uh, when you got I, when I got to that name, really thinking it, it, it took some time, and I and ultimately I didn't vote for him. But um, you know, if, if I had to vote right now, I don't know if, if uh, he's had a good year and a good last few months, but um, uh, he he's a guy who uh, uh, so many times in big spots has come up short, disappointed. Yeah. Uh, so that's always oh. hurt, but. I don't vote for people like that as a rule generally, and I'm giving some of my voting strategies away here because I look at the ballot and I often think there are so many people from the past who are, in my eyes, incredibly deserving, who are not in, which baffles me, like Sergeant Slaughter not being in, which I think, did he get in in the past year? Just the fact that he wasn't in, the fact that Fabulous Moolah is not in. Um, I, I don't think uh, the junkyard dog was in like things like that. I'm like, those people need to be in before I could start thinking about um, Randy Orton or somebody like that. Do you, do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, fair enough. Yeah. None of those that you mentioned um, are, are in. And yeah, I know I, I see their name every year and I stop can't believe- about it. And yeah, I, I got to say, I, I don't, maybe Slaughter I voted for in the past. I'm not sure. I, uh, the other names you mentioned, I don't think I've. I voted for JYD to me. I mean, I know he, he, in, in mid South, he was really kind of a cultural phenomenon. Yeah. Uh, but, but his, his WWF run and, um, beyond, uh, he was pretty popular in WWF for, for a time there, but, uh, a guy who certainly for the last, I don't know, maybe 10 years of his career, uh, you can make the argument was really phoning it in, you know. And, I mean, yeah, but I mean, even just by virtue of Mid South, I mean, at that point, he was the hot. You want to talk like I don't know, like eighty one, eighty two. He was the hottest attraction in wrestling, basically. Yeah. You know, he was the top guy. And when he first came to the WWF, when they brought him in, when they were expanding, it was on the merits of that. And I mean, yeah, I mean, he he blew it. Unfortunately, he had his demons. But there was a time there, maybe for a year, maybe even less than a year, where he was like the number two babyface behind Hogan. Yeah, sure, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I was kind of um, uh, just becoming a fan at, at that point, and Hulkamania was running wild, and I think too, Hulk Hogan's Rocket Wrestling and all that, and, and yeah, no, he was he was a big big deal. Anyway, I, I wanted to keep this uh, this whole segment short, and now we're 11 minutes in, and we're talking I, about the Chuck Yeager talk. I know this is my <laughs> fault. This is what happens when you're a fault. great yeah. guy off the rails. Anyhow. Uh, so much more. You also have a feature uh, in the magazine on uh, Alistair Black, and uh, there are other features. Uh, it, it's a fun issue because when uh, well, we do have the poll here, which which is one of our big kind of tent pole um, um, projects that we work on. But 
uh, there's still a lot of room in this magazine to. Uh, it's also again I talk about the the, the Kevin era, the, the McIlvaney era. Um, um, so some names covered here that maybe normally wouldn't get that much uh, ink in our magazine. So um, uh, you definitely want to check it out. I mean, we've got uh, Thunder Rosa and Nick Cage and uh, a lot more. So uh, pick up this issue. Go to PWI hyphen online.com whether you want to get the one issue or uh subscribe i always say the longer you subscribe the deeper the savings um and you could get a half off the, the cover price uh it's absolutely the way to go um and that goes for both the, the digital the print edition the digital edition uh, gets to you a lot faster uh but certainly the print uh, edition is our bread and butter so um we we certainly encourage you to pick that up get both why not um, and again, pwi-online.com is the place to go. Uh, please subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast and leave us a, uh, a nice review. We appreciate it. Uh, pick up the uh, PWI uh, t-shirt at prowrestlingtees.com. Uh, what else? Follow us on uh, social media uh, at official PWI on Instagram and uh, Twitter. Uh, send us an email at uh, pwi at kappapublishing.com uh, it's kappa k-a-p-p-a publishing.com or uh, right here uh, to the podcast pwi podcast at outlook.com i know i'm kind of overwhelming everybody on on these uh, plugs so i'll i'll leave it at that uh brian let's talk a, a little bit about uh, uh the horror show extreme rules last night um a fascinating show in in a lot of ways I, i'd say not in good ways i can't remember a time where um a show top to bottom i think the matches were were all pretty good in in that you know two and a half three star range uh, and above i think some were really good uh and yet i thought the show was terrible <laughs> and, yeah. and uh I, I i really hated it and um left an awful taste in my mouth uh at at the end of the night and uh, uh not at all a reflection on on the the workers, the talent who I think no. did an exceptional job with just garbage. And and uh, I, I try to be the positive one on, on the staff a lot, but this was just unmitigated trash. Uh, I I hated so much about this show, and um, to me it just it it reeks of absolute desperation. And and we see where the the ratings have been raw drawing an all time low. Uh, so part of me wonders whether. Uh, and, and not to be too much of a conspiracy theorist, but but whether they're being they're, they're intentionally putting on bad uh, uh, TV as kind of a a freak show specta- spectacle. We know it's absolutely preposterous and stupid to have a match where you have to pluck a guy's eye out to win. Uh, but aren't you curious what that looks like? You know, that, that kind of thing. Uh, but but I just thought. Uh, and, and not across the board. I, I thought McIntyre and Ziggler was really good. Um, I, I was OK with the stipulation. I thought it, it got heel heat on, on Ziggler uh, and, and other stipulations throughout the show. I, I've heard some folks say they held back the matches. I don't know. I mean, I thought the tables match uh, with New Day and Cesaro and Nakamura was fine. You know, huge stunt bump at the end. Uh, but but those two matches in particular, which were really kind of the the marquee matches, uh, McIntyre and Mysterio, who otherwise had a, a really well-worked match. But talk about like an albatross, this, this absurd, stupid, sickening, just just idiotic um, stipulation. And then that that just disaster of uh, a main event, the swamp fight, which which I like to talk, talk about separately in a moment. But anyway, that, that, that's uh, enough for me. What, what was your take on the show? Well, I think that the name of the show, the horror show, it was very, very uh, fitting. I don't think for the reasons that they wanted it to be. 
Yeah, because it really was a horror show. Um, yeah, I, I feel like you in the sense that I don't want to be come like this negative guy, but they're turning me into this negative guy. And and I assure you, for people that may be thinking, oh, this guy used to work for WWE, so he's bitter, but nothing could be further from the truth. The fact that I'm even still watching WWE is proof that that's not the case. I enjoy a lot of what they do, but um, this was the classic example of a failure of creative. You know, yeah. again, I agree with you. I know I'm not supposed to agree with you too much, but I agree with you again <laughs> in the sense that the talent is not to blame. They, they, they really busted their butts. They put on a great show. It's a failure of creative. I mean, there's several re- reasons. Look, um, I know that the Ziggler and, and McIntyre match was a good match, but uh, my feeling on that is, you know, you're trying to get this champion over. You, you don't even have a crowd there to tell you if he's over or not. And the best challenger you can put in there with him on pay-per-view is Dolph Ziggler. I mean, Dolph Ziggler. I understand the angle aside that they used to be partners and everything. Just take that out of the equation. Dolph Ziggler is the guy that you come up with. <laughs> but he's a guy that that you could put um, a McIntyre over cleanly on. I mean, I think Ziggler plays that role. And, and I appreciate that they're in this mode of just let's let's build McIntyre strong. Just just keep on gaining that momentum. Uh, so I was fine with it. I mean, I think that's that's exactly the role that Ziggler should be playing. And then you've got. OK, so. uh the, the 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 Sasha Banks and Asuka match, which again a decent match, but the idea of just oh okay, so Bailey's putting yeah. on a referee's shirt, so I guess uh, that sort of makes her the referee, so she yeah. can count. And look, it's classic heel tactics to try and do that. Nothing wrong with that, but that is the point where somebody's music hits. You have somebody come out in authority, somebody, and say. Oh, this can't stand. Bailey's not the referee. This match has to go on. But the fact that you leave it in question whether or not this is a real decision just because Bailey put on a referee shirt, it's just so incredibly dumb and it insults the intelligence of viewers. Um, the the eye match, I mean, look, I start to sound like Jim Cornette when I say these things, but you know, he's got a point about things like this when yeah. you have match where you're advertising it as the winner is the guy that puts the other guy's eye out you're basically telling everyone this is completely fake and you don't have to take this seriously because if it wasn't fake nobody would ever sanction a match where you're supposed to take somebody's eye out it's basically just wink wink nudge nudge you, this is nonsense and you shouldn't take it seriously yeah yeah and and what i hated and i mean i hated everything about it but but that at the end, when, um, you know, uh, 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 meeting the stipulation, Seth Rollins takes Rey Mysterio's eye out. Then there's this frantic, like, chaos of, of like, medical uh, personnel running to the ring and, and treating it as they, they should. And, and the announcers are freaking out and Seth Rollins is, is throwing up. And it's like, this is what was supposed to happen. This is what you wanted to happen. You, right. you booked this. <laughs> so so why is everybody freaking out about it? You know, this, this was exactly what you wanted to happen. And Charlie uh, is in the back, you know, giving the correspondence report of, you know, we're, we're all pulling for for Ray and we got if if they could just make sure the optic nerve is still connected he can see and this is unspeakable if it's unspeakable and unthinkable why Why did you sanction the match (laughs) yeah 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 I agree I I I absolutely hated it um and 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 just a a quick point uh uh, because you mentioned Charlie Caruso she did a um 
one of these interviews backstage who was it with i don't even remember um but she opened the 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 interview by saying something along the lines of um you you attained a victory that some people would would call can't even remember like vociferous or something and it was just like who talks like this (laughs) yes well it's It's an ongoing problem yeah i mean it's but but it's just such a turnoff Anyhow, then we we get this main event. We've been talking about these cinematic matches for for um, a, a while now. Really, during it, it's been one of the the side effects um, of the the COVID era. Uh, this one, I, I mean, I'd say it took it to a new level. But but after the the Firefly Funhouse, I don't I don't I don't think this went as far as that did. But it sucked. It was stupid. It was um, and. Again, a- after the feedback I got after a WrestleMania, I was reluctant to even go on social media and be like, did, did some people like this? And I-, I-, I just can't imagine. But but sure enough, I saw some of the the reviews um, by people I respect. And in- inevitably, like what you hear is like praise for the production value and for the creativity and for the execution. And uh, I really am like, am-, am I living on another planet? First of all, even by those standards, this is not good, right? Have, have and, you ever and, seen a movie like event any movie ever yeah. made? I, I just think like they they grade on such a curve for wrestling to say, wow, they did that so well. No, they didn't. If if, if you were watching a, a like you said a, a a TV show or a movie, you'd think it was terrible. It's it was low rent, bad special effects. It was trash. And 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 again, what are we watching? How how could we be watching um, Braun Strowman both on the ground and standing over himself? Um, I just hated it. And, and, and as much as there's always this, this discussion and part of me does believe in this idea of like, if, if it, if it draws money, then it works. Uh, there's a limit to that. And then again, you bring up Jim Cornette and I start to feel like him a bit too, but it's like, to me, some of this is just sort of objectively wrong. And this is just so, so far off the rails. Um, and, and I don't think there's any evidence that it is working, right? Well, this has been a social experiment. So you and I, Al, we're getting old. And <laughs> here's the thing. Now, we used to call this stuff. I think we've, we've said this. We used to call this stuff wrestle crap back in the yeah. day. Everybody would have a laugh. The White Castle of Fear. Yeah. The Doc yeah. Master. Um, I'm trying to think of one that WWF did so I don't sound like I'm anti-WCW. But you get the idea. Just this kind of goofy silly, completely unrealistic stuff. And back then, when you still had the older fans that remembered when it wasn't like that, (laughs) they would trash it and they would laugh at it. And it was this universal thing. Oh, wow, aren't we, you know, uh, this is so ridiculous. We can all agree how terrible this is. Now, you have a generation of fans born probably around that time that grew up on wrestle crap, on what you mm-hmm. call what you'd call wrestle crap, and so to them, it's totally okay, you know. And it and look, it is what it is. That's what they grew up on. That's what they they didn't grow up with the expectation even that pro wrestling is supposed to be realistic in any way. It's just it's the it's it's the mindset that says wrestling is supposed to be goofy and ridiculous and funny, and that's what wrestling is. And I would argue, you know, that's part of what wrestling is. Yes. That that's part of the product. I, I do believe that comedy wrestling has its place. That silly, weird, surreal stuff has its place. But when it takes over the whole show, that's the problem. There used to be this this belief that the guys at the top, 
the main event stuff like that's in a different class and you have to treat that differently. And that's out the window now. It's like it, it's the, it's basically taken over everything. And, and you've got a young fan base that doesn't expect it to be anything other than that. So they, they welcome it with open arms. It's just it just is what it is. Yeah, you, you're, you're so right. I think you, you nailed it. And, and I, I think about like, you know, RoboCop. Yeah. And uh, right. A, a Cheatham the midget. Right. <laughs> That's their term. Uh, and, and and right. A, a Davies Boy Smith and Sting on, on the beach and the, the boat explodes. And universally uh, at the time, these were panned as just absurd, stupid breaking from from um, a reality. And all of those are tame compared to what WWE has been pulling the, the last few months. Uh, sure. uh, no, none of those are as bad as the small fight uh, last is night. It, we keep mentioning WCW stuff. Is there a good example of? I know WWF was doing plenty of that stuff back then, but what's a good example? Well, you know what? In 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 their defense, I can't think of that. I mean, I mean, there's bad stuff for sure, and you get, uh, you know, is it, it wasn't Russell Crap's like like big award named after the uh, the gobbledygooker? So. Uh, okay, gobbledygooker, you know, sure. But again, but that's, that's not really that's not the same thing. Yeah. No, you're right. I, I guess WCW was a much worse offender back then, weren't they? I guess yeah. they were. And and listening to some of these podcasts, there was, um, I mean, it wasn't all uh, one person's fault, but I know they talk about it, it had to do with kind of the uh, the hierarchy in, in WCW and basically the left hand not knowing what the right hand was doing. And there was a woman who was, I think, in charge of uh, uh, marketing and um, would almost unilaterally just like have these ideas like what if we have them on a beach and the boat blows up and then the rest of the creative team just have to kind of work around that. And that's why, you know, you'd have these promos, but but the actual storyline on TV and, and the matches didn't really follow them. Um, but but man, this is this is all the way up to Vince McMahon giving his his blessing. And and uh, again, there's there's part of me, a big part of me wondering whether they're not intentionally putting on bad wrestling uh now. well i can't i i just can't see that I, I i don't know that that seems that's a bit of a stretch to me you even think, they think that that a match where you you pluck somebody's eye out um like like they're not cracking up in a a, a boardroom uh, uh putting this together i i can't believe that they think that that anybody would take this seriously no, but I but again, I think it's one of those things where it's like if it entertains Vince or if it, if it captures Vince's imagination, then everybody either goes along with it because you don't want to tell him that, you know, tell the emperor he's got no clothes or they, they just don't care. It's just, well, you know, this will this will maybe this will pop a big number. Maybe just like you said, the shock value alone will be enough. I don't think they're going into it. Everybody at least saying out loud this is terrible you know i i just can't see that happening um you know i just thought of actually here's a good one what about fake undertaker that would be in in the category of not, of not uh no because to me or what about papa shango with the ultimate warrior and the black no shortage yeah yeah there was some of that maybe People that at that they would love that today love it but none of those go go as far you know i mean to me like my my threshold has always been like, do, does it make sense that that this could be captured on camera, right? Yeah. So, um, uh, for, for all, all those things, uh, the ones you, you just mentioned, and and they get creative with like the camera shots, and I have issues with some of them, but but theoretically, like that stuff could all be captured on camera. But but how would you capture on camera two Braun Strowman, one standing <laughs> over the other? 
um, a, a spirit floating in the air. Uh, and, and as an aside, there's another takeaway um, uh, last night watching this. Uh, and, and we talk about, you know, the, 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 the careers of Randy Orton and, and where they stand in history. Bray Wyatt to me now. Uh, and look, seems like a nice enough guy. I know he's, he's married, got yeah, some young kids, hardworking, got himself cosmetically in, in really good shape over the last couple of years. Obviously very creative. But man, has he been involved in a lot of crap over the, uh, the last few years. And when I think of some of the worst wrestling I've seen in the last few years, so much of it involves uh, Bray Wyatt. Whether you talk about you know him and Seth Rollins, that horrendous feud last year, and uh, Hell in a Cell, the Firefly Funhouse um, uh, this year. And even going back years ago, stuff he did with Randy Orton, where they had like the projection of the bugs in the ring. Uh, to me... The guy is unwatchable. Or the little children who helped him. Yeah, win one yeah. He, he's uh, again, I think a real creative guy, but 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 just so far afield sometimes. And uh, it, it for me, at least it just doesn't work at all. The guy is absolutely changed the channel television. I feel like there's an there is an audience for that sort of thing. I will say that I really do believe that. And we see that there definitely is. Yeah. I just don't think it belongs at the top. That's mid-card. That's lower mid-card stuff. That is not where you hang your, you know, your, your biggest hopes in terms of grabbing an audience and drawing money and getting people over. I mean, well, well, you know, maybe it is, but it's it's not for what I want to see. That's for sure. It's not what I turn on wrestling to see, as I've said before. You know, keep it keep it in the lower mid-card. Keep it where, you know, because if you taint everything with that, then you're basically telling me. None of this matters. None of this is serious. Don't put any emotional stock in this. And then it just becomes something that's completely not what I became a fan of wrestling to get into. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so let's inject some positivity. Let, let's switch over. Talk about the other show over the weekend. Uh, Impact Wrestling uh, Slammiversary. Um, there was a, a fair amount of, of buzz over this show uh, because we were guaranteed a, a new a heavyweight champion with um, Tessa Blanchard being stripped of, of the title and, you know, a shakeup even uh, beyond that with Michael Elgin, who might have been, you know, the next online, uh, him also taking off. Uh, so and then the other part that I think had a lot of buzz was all the firings over uh, WWE. It was clear that some, if not a lot of those were going to be show, showing up at um, Slammiversary and a lot did. We had uh, Heath Slater and uh, the Good Brothers, Gallows and Anderson and at the end, we saw uh, EC3, uh, a little uh, vignette with him. Eric Young uh, came back. Uh, and then then even some surprises outside of that with the Motor City Machine Guns uh, returning. So uh, definitely a lot going on over at Impact. Um, they, they decided to put the title on Eddie Edwards, which I had mixed feelings about. He's probably as prominent a, a name as they have which kind of speaks to the state of, of mm -hmm. impact wrestling and, and a super talented guy. I don't know if he's, he's the guy who's really going to um, bring in new fans or, or elevate the company. But I also get sort of like what AEW did when, when they um, got started, put the title on kind of a, a known commodity, um, get, get them some traction. And then when somebody beats him, you can make a star out of them. And I, I think of guys like, uh, Ace Austin and and, and um, uh, Trey Miguel, who were both in in that match, who who both have a, a big upside. Uh, maybe it's better if that chase is a, a little longer. 
Uh, but I thought a, a, a really good show. Th- they're hurting um, maybe particularly from from COVID-19 in that they have not uh, decided or, or have the ability to do kind of the simulated fans like um, WWE and AEW have. So they're still kind of where WWE was months ago where it's just, you know, pin drop quiet and mm-hmm. it absolutely takes a lot uh, out of the, the show's. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know what they, I, I mean, maybe it's just a decision. And, and if, if it's a decision just based on safety, then kudos for them. That that's more, uh, important. Uh, but, but a good show, I, I, I think, um, uh, potentially a boost for impact. And I like that even though you send some mixed messages when you're just kind of grabbing all of these, these cast offs from WWE, uh, I'd like that they, they brought back some of that old TNA because one of the issues with impact is that, um, for better or for worse, and I know you know a lot of people are calling for this uh, for a long time, but but it had no resemblance to the old TNA, right? There was there wasn't any of that that link from the past to the present, and I think bringing in a, a Motor City Machine Guns and an Eric Young and EC3, who all on their own merit are just good talents, uh, but also have a little bit of that TNA history to them, uh, I, I think it's all good. Yeah, and I think what also needs to be said here too. Let's not gloss over this just the fact and (laughs) i don't mean this as a knock but just the fact that we're sitting here talking about the 18th anniversary of impact wrestling i don't think anybody thought with everything that they've gone through throughout most of those 18 years let's be honest here that anybody thought we'd be sitting here talking about this i mean it's a testament to them and the resilience of the company and just the way that they've managed to kind of leapfrog to different cable networks and different owners and stuff. I mean, they're like the Jason Voorhees of the wrestling (laughs) landscape. Like when you think they're dead or they're certainly going to be dead, they sit up and they stand up and they're back at it again. So for better or worse, it it may not be the greatest product. I'm not saying that it is. I don't think that it is. I mean, uh, but the fact that they have managed to keep going and reinvent themselves um, is to their credit. You know, I applaud the company for doing that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, some of that is, uh, you know, th- th- there's uh, surviving and there's thriving, right? And the reality yes. is for, for a lot of those years, they were just losing money, but they were run by a, a, a money mark who didn't care. So they were just, uh, uh, you know, uh, throwing out the, the good money after bad or bad money after good, whatever it is. Um, I, I do think that this latest management team, since Anthem bought it, um, you've got people over there who are smart who have a vision um, and they've been challenged just by, you know, not having the budget that they once did and, and um, you know, not being able to afford the names that, that they were once uh, able to, to afford. And that's not necessarily a bad thing because one of the criticisms for so long, rightfully so of, of uh, a TNA was that they were only going after those names, right? They were just building their company around X WWE and, and WCW uh, players. Uh, so in some ways, it's an improvement, but but the reality is be, because that the, the limitations um, of, of their budget, they also haven't been able to seriously go after the, um, the, the kind of cream of the crop of free agents. So, um, you know, I was super surprised to see Gallows and Anderson show up in Impact. I guess their deal 
we'll let them go to go to New Japan. But but the reality is, you know, if you're a free agent now, you're not thinking about Impact, or at least you weren't. It seems like maybe that's changing, you know, and and that's good. If 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 uh, EC3 and and uh, Heath Slater and these types go over there, and maybe that that paves the way for others. Maybe maybe it becomes an option that others haven't considered. So. Um, good for them. You know, it, it, it's weird to be in a position where, where you're actually calling on them to to bring back a little bit of that that TNA. Um, you know, and I don't mean the, the 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 name because I know they've got Moose defending the TNA title. Uh, but but you, I, I feel like you do need that that link, that legacy, a little bit. And and you touched on it. It's 18 years now. This is a company that that does have a lot of history. A lot of it could. You know, uh, uh, I heard somebody mention this was mind blowing. They actually have outlasted WCW now. They've been around longer than WCW was. Oh wow! I guess yeah, going from when Turner bought it to when they went out of business. Yeah, yeah. and but, but I mean, yeah, the, the money situation, like you said, I mean, all things being equal, if they didn't have somebody there with with endless pockets, that may not have been the case. You know, I mean, they they were on life support for a lot of that time. So, I mean, it, it all it all sort of depends on the circumstances, right? I mean, if WCW had the Carter family <laughs> running it, right. maybe yeah. maybe they would have survived, too. Who knows? It's all it's kind of like a woulda, shoulda, coulda. You could you could speculate forever. Uh, but yeah. they are here. And I also think it speaks to the position of AEW right now. It's interesting to me that because I would have thought like you that maybe a lot of these people would go there first. And I'm wondering if part of that might be that AEW specifically is not as interested in doing what TNA did back in the day, which is just snatching up all of the people that WWE doesn't want. I mean, you know, maybe I'm naive to think that maybe they're looking more to build new people like they've got a handful of WWE people and maybe they don't want to populate their entire roster with what appears to be castoffs to, to the fans. Yeah, and, and uh, right. And, and I do think that, that a lot of the names that went to Impact, um, would it be good fits in, in AEW? Nor, nor, I mean, I can't see AEW being terribly interested in the Heath Slater or uh, I would have thought that they, they'd make a play for uh, Gals and Anderson and maybe they did. Um, an EC3, those types, Eric Young, I, I don't see them being very high on, on the priority list. Um, but for for impact, it makes all the money, all the all the sense in the world. I mean, to to grab these guys yeah. who really made their names there, and in in a lot of those cases, it's really interesting because for for so long, right, the the narrative was uh, with, with you know wrestlers like AJ Styles that or Samoa Joe that TNA had them for so long and did nothing with them, and squandered them, and then they went over to WWE and became successes, and now. Uh, at least with some of those uh, talents, you could say the opposite is true. When you talk about EC3 and Eric Young, uh, now really the narrative uh, coming out of um, the show on Saturday night was WWE didn't use these guys properly, right? They they didn't make the most of these guys who um, are very talented and have a huge upside. And just, I mean, EC3 was – and look, I've never been the biggest EC3 fan, but you could get more out of that guy than – you couldn't possibly get less out of that guy <laughs> No, it they, felt like they, they were holding him hostage or something. Right, sure. right. I mean, I mean, wh- why even bother to to have hired him to do what they did with him? Uh, and and to some extent, Eric Young um, too, who, you know, the, the, both those guys were were uh, world champions in in TNA and in WWE. They were complete uh, afterthoughts. So um, yeah, I hope this is to be the beginning. I, I mean, you got to have realistic expectations. I, I don't think they're going to be, you know, drawing. Uh, uh, 
a million viewers on TV. WWE's having a hard time doing that uh, yeah. lately. Uh, but um, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think you come out of Saturday Night and Slammiversary probably feeling as optimistic about the future of Impact as uh, we have in a while. And that's saying something after losing uh, a star like Tessa Blanchard, which which really was everything for them. Uh, and I was really kind of worried about the, the state of, of Impact after that. And and after um, Saturday night, I kind of feel good about where they're at. So uh, good for them. Yeah, absolutely. And and you know the the Tessa thing was was definitely a blow. And it's like one of the latest in the long string of of supposed you know nails in the coffin where everybody goes, how are they yeah. going to come back from this? How are they going to build up from this? Oh my God, they're off this network. Oh my God, they lost this guy. Oh, you know, and, and, uh, you know, it's just one of those things. They, they, they find a way and they rebuild and they reinvent. All right. I want to thank uh, Brian Solomon, my co-host once again for another fun, enlightening conversation as, uh, we are known to do, uh, right now let's throw to another, uh, really newsworthy conversation. Uh, I had, this would have been, uh, I guess back in Early June, I remember it was just before the most recent uh, takeover in your house uh, event, uh, and we had a lot of uh, topics to cover, including her then reign as NXT Women's Champion, and uh, so much more. Uh, again, uh, a definitely newsworthy interview. Uh, let's go to it right now. Here is my hot seat conversation as featured in the October 2020 issue of Pro Wrestling Illustrated with WWE's queen, Charlotte Flair. Has, has it been a, a, a nice kind of change of pace? I mean, the, the, the usual grind of week in, week out, being able to have a few days to maybe unwind, even if there's, I guess, not all that much to do? Uh, well, for me, it's just, I've been going straight since I debuted in 2015. Like, I had one little window of, like, six weeks off since 2015, but... For me, it's just been enjoyable. Uh, Nanny and I built a gym at our house and just working all three brands or just even just Raw and NXT, it's been nice being in Orlando. Um, That would probably have been difficult had I lived somewhere else and been full-time on the road. But um, yeah, I just have enjoyed being at home with him. And like I said, easier going or doing all the brands or working all the brands being home or in Florida. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, as much as I know everybody um, wants things to go back to normal, are there some changes in WWE's operation that have forced over the last couple months that you maybe like, that you maybe think should should stick around? Have, have you discovered anything that maybe will actually uh, improve things? Uh, so what I, what I think makes the company so special is our live event audience like the passionate fans especially since we're global but as a performer i've really taken this no audience um i guess you could say dilemma or circumstance and i've just tried to grow as a performer like going into wrestlemania I just go, how can I make myself stand out? How can I prove that I am that good? How can I make the audience forget that there is no audience or the audience home forget that there is no audience, you know, at the PC and we're not an arena or stadium and just have tried to up my game in every way possible. So for me, 
it's been like, wow, this has been such a learning lesson. Like, I feel like I've grown so much over these last few weeks. Um, but I will say, like, I, I am excited to go back to live events because it really is, like, what makes our business so special. Yeah. And to be able to control the emotions of an audience live. Like, I know I get to control the emotions with people at home, but I can't see the reactions. There's nothing better than an arena booing you. <laughs> <laughs> how much, when, when you're putting together a match and you're out there, how much is dictated by that rhythm of the fans? And you get, certainly, your dad talked about it a lot over the years, that so much of the, of the layout is in response, listening to them and kind of going on that ride. And without them, how much of a challenge is it to put on... That's a match, but it's a match, and, and yours was praised as one of the better, if not the best. Well, it's okay. So, I it's not. I think it's more about can you, as a performer, deal with the silence? Like, does it make you more nervous? Do you go too fast? Do you go too slow? Are you in your head? Like for me whether there's been an audience or not, because I've really had to learn as a performer when I've been put in roles that necessarily weren't, you know, fitted for me. <laughs> like when they, when I'm a good guy, like I've had to zone out. Okay. Yes. They're doing me, but that doesn't matter. I am playing my role as a good guy. Mm-hmm. But like right now for me, I think it's the performers that can deal with like, yes, the last two weeks we've had, uh, talent around the ring but it's the ones that can like put on a match and not be worried about the silence or deal with that i think that's harder because you always want that instant gratification as a performer and they're like oh my gosh are they cheering are they not are they making noise are they not and for me like i'm just i've been able to be so calm in my delivery and knowing that it doesn't bother me like i'm performing to the millions at home not the audience. If that makes it, if you try, if you understand what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. Do, do, you, do you think you got some preparation? Because the reality is, you, you have gotten a mixed reaction for the last couple of years, and a lot of fans have not always been on board. Pat, did that experience help you focus on your, your job in, in the ring without that much of a distraction of whether you're chewing, hearing, or booing, or not there at all? Well, I came to the realization is that people aren't making noise, that's a problem. They might be indifferent, but that's a good thing. Like, they care. Um, So it's never, it's not that now it's, oh, I'm more relaxed because I'm not getting the reaction that I want. It's just, I've come to the, it's just like good, bad, or indifferent. I'm, this is, this is me as a performer. Yeah. Like, and I don't, I don't know. It's just, I, I, it's like the most confident I've been, I think in a long time. Yeah. Just because I can just go out there. Like with even before COVID, I can just go out there and be me. I don't have to say, Oh my gosh, do you like me? Oh my gosh, do you hate me? Whether you're boomy or cheer me, this is me. And I've, I've found that in my character now, which is the best part. Yeah, and I guess the timing couldn't have been better with, with all this happening. Um, yeah. Well, I, I, as, as far as WrestleMania, you, you've been part of, of a lot of them now. You've headlined WrestleMania uh, last year uh, here in New York, 70 people. 
did this year feel like a WrestleMania? I mean, were, were you able to get up it? Was it? It, it did for me. It did for me. Like, I had my new robe, my new gear ready to go because, like, to me, this was an opportunity to, like, really go, wow, that person stands out. Like, and to think that it could have been or might have been the most watched WrestleMania of all time because no other live sporting events were going on. Like, I was going to go, whether there's an audience or not, you're going to remember my match and it's going to be the best and follow that. Right. And I'm like, it's being able to show that gear change or that intensity without having a live audience. And the way I looked at it, it's like, I, you know, yes, for Rhea Ripley there, I felt, you know, this is her first WrestleMania. She was picturing it, you know, at Tampa Bay stadium. And I'm sure there was a lot of mixed emotions there. And yes, I've been on a WrestleMania, but if you're going to stand out on any WrestleMania, stand out on a WrestleMania where all the odds are against you. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. In, in that way, was this even a more important WrestleMania for you than last year? Yeah. Yeah. Because I went from, damn, it might even be on WrestleMania. Like, mm-hmm. it's been a, like a roller coaster of the last two years for me. I think, but yes, I'm always on TV, and that's due to how consistent I am. But I, like, in December and before Royal Rumble, I was like, man, am I even going to be on WrestleMania? So then when I won Royal Rumble and I was going to be on WrestleMania, I go, well, once again, I'm going to show, you know, who's missed WrestleMania. Yeah. Regardless of, you know, storylines or whatever, like, I mean, that's how I felt. I just wanted to stand out. And especially with this storyline with challenging or accepting the challenge for the NXT title, like, well, if this goes bad, it's on me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's her first WrestleMania. It's my what? Fifth? Fourth? <laughs> how, how, how receptive were you to this whole idea of moving you to, to NXT? And you talked about it, it being kind of a roller coaster, and, and some folks would see the sort of a demotion, right? You're moving down to the the, the third brand, the developmental brand. Um, did, did, was any part of you reluctant to do it, or did you see it as, as a challenge? I don't look at anything as a demotion. I just look, here I am full circle with my career. Like, the fact that the NXT title was defended at WrestleMania still kind of blows my mind. Because I went through those steps of going from FCW to NXT, from Tampa to Orlando, having those first takeovers, traveling outside of Florida, to now you're telling me the NXT title is defended at WrestleMania. Like, I took so much pride in that. For me, it was not looking at it as, okay, you're going to NXT. It's like, okay, NXT is now on USA. This is legitimately a third brand, and we have to treat it as a third equal brand. Do you see your role as um, uh, helping establish some of the, the newer, younger women there? I mean, and, and that's, that's so fascinating because I feel like it was just yesterday that you were the, the new thing in NXT, and here you are in that position of kind of the veterans to help get over these other girls. I don't want to say that I've added more to NXT. I just hope the talent in that locker room at NXT go, okay, 
this girl is NXT, or excuse me, this woman is NXT homegrown, and look at what she's done in her career. Right. And that's what I strive for. I don't, per se, do I add to the show? Do I add to the locker room? Do I add, am I getting girls over? Yes. There's no right answer for that. My answer is I just hope the women in that locker room look at me and go, damn, she's done it all, and I want to do that too. And she's from yeah. NFT. And and what what is it taking her to do that? And for me, the one answer is consistency. Right. Whether the storyline is for you or not for you, and you're a part of it, you shine no matter what. And and any reservations on on your part in as much, I know there's some terrific women um, in NXT and world traveled and very experienced but there are also a lot of developmental stars, right? You have a lot less experience than, than you and a lot of the yep. women worked on Raw and SmackDown. So um, what's your approach to, to working with, with them? Because I imagine it would be a little more of a challenge to, to get a real quality match out of somebody who's only been in the business maybe a year or two. Well, I think it's just going, it doesn't matter how many moves you know. It's about the story you portray and how you hold yourself. And if you learn anything in a ring with me or if we're trying, you know, to tell a story, it's remember the story and remember who you are as a character because that's what really the audience connects with. They're not going to remember the 3,000 moonsaults. They're going to remember how did that person make me feel? How did that talent make me feel? And that's just what, you know, if I am with someone who doesn't have as much experience, it's just remembering who they are and taking those moments in time and it's more about that than, okay, what, what, how many moves are we going to do? Yeah. Yeah. Um, we touched on, on wanting things to go back to normal and get back into those big arenas. But as long as you're part of NXT, and I know you're still showing up on Raw and SmackDown uh, on occasion, but your home brand is going to be one that typically is not playing in, in front of the big arenas. Even when things go back to normal, I imagine that's a lot of smaller crowds that you're going to be. Uh, well, I have I have to be honest. I feel like my home is Raw. Mm-hmm. Like, I have been on Raw, and I and when I'm on Raw, I get the chance to talk. Like, I haven't really had the opportunity to talk after I won the title at NFT. So I do feel like on Raw and the audience who watches Raw, like, I get to talk every week. Mm-hmm. So I do, even though I have the NFT title... I do feel like home is raw. Okay. Would you be up for doing some of those smaller shows that NXT typically uh, runs when things go back to normal? Oh, absolutely. Those are the most fun. (laughs) Because you're just so up close and personal with the audience. Or, you know, lack of... Yeah. Yeah. I don't care if there's one person or 101,000 people, like at WrestleMania 32. Um, You'll get the same Charlotte no matter what. And, you know, you know it, it reminds me that that's one of been sort of one of the conversations coming out of this whole pandemic is re- reconsidering the role of live shows. And there's even been some speculation that maybe they don't come back or, or they don't become as big a part of these business models as they have been before, the house show. Uh, what, what would you think of that? We became primarily a television uh, business and the house shows kind of went away for the large part. Um then I guess it's just a matter of being grateful for what I was a part of with the house shows and getting to travel the world with them 
and then realizing that the the company is evolving and you have to evolve as well. And if it's more of a televised product, then I'm just as grateful to be able to do my craft in front of the audiences at home. Yeah. Uh, uh, speaking of, of evolving and the evolution, it was a couple of years ago that we were really kind of the thick of, of uh, the women's evolution. It sort of feels like we're on the other side of it now, and the novelty has worn off of, wow, women can, can headline a pay-per-view or compete in a, a Royal Rumble. Are, are you happy where things have settled with women's wrestling? And, and they also I won't be happy till I made it at WrestleMania again in a singles match. <laughs> Okay, that's interesting. Do you think there's a distinction there between being part of a triple threat with kind of an attraction, a mainstream attraction like Ronda Rousey versus just two regular full-time? No, I mean, I don't think I don't think there's a distinction. I just, that is my goal to have a one-on-one at WrestleMania. Mm-hmm. But in terms of the women's evolution, I think everything is always on a roller coaster and it always has to be the right story, the right place, the right time. And whoever has the best story at that time deserves to main event WrestleMania. But I think are on the other side of the evolution where it's like, it just really depends on who has the hottest story. Yeah. I don't feel like there's any difference in the men and women and storylines and whether it's main event and pay-per-views or not. I feel like it's, it's so far past that. Just for me personally, as a goal, that's my next goal. What do you think about where some of uh, other companies have taken women's wrestling? And in the United States, you know, W had uh, a trans woman as their their women's champion. On Impact, they've got a woman as their world champion, uh, wrestling men. Do uh, you think it's all part of the same evolution? Are these ideas that need to be incorporated into the movies? I just think that anywhere where women are succeeding, or one female is succeeding, we're all succeeding. So it's just to be proud of everything that women are doing all over the world or in other companies. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you, you touched on, on Mandy and the school gym that, that you bought. Um, what is it like for you to have a little piece of home on the road? I'm always so interested in that these couples because I imagine that makes the lifestyle a lot better when you're not away from your loved one for days and weeks at a time. They're with you, right? Yeah. I'm like smiling right now. It's been amazing. Um, just share, having someone to share your journey with. And I was on the road, I guess, what, almost four or five years uh, alone. And to be able to travel with your partner and understand like the pressures and the ups and downs and understanding what you do. I think that's the hardest thing is like, how do you, no one can explain what road life is like. And, um, yeah, it's, it's very nice having someone to travel with. (laughs) Does it, um, add pressure in the sense that typically, uh, WWE superstars, right? You're concerned with your your own career, your own push, your own trajectory, how you're doing. In this case, I imagine you're sort of doubly anxiety because you're also concerned with how you're doing, right? And what the history yeah. of your trajectory is, and, how, and so oh, what's, what's that been like? I don't. I 
I think it's more like I always get anxiety about like I hope my last name it's like I'm used to being criticized like I just never wanted that for Manny like being attached to my dad or the flair name like I just that's what I more worry about I mean I guess the only time I get more frustrated is because I know how I know how talented he is and that he's a star and I just want so much more for him um for his future and but that's I think my biggest concern is I'm used to people having negative things to say and I just I just hate that my last name gets put on him that's my biggest I guess anxiety yeah. What, what do you see as, and I got to say, I'm a, a huge fan of his, uh, dating back to his run in XP, that, uh, incredible match he had, uh, with, with Johnny Gargano, which I thought was the best match of the year. So, uh, what do you see as his upside? I mean, do you see him, you know, headlining WrestleMania right alongside you, uh, one day? Oh, 1000%. I think, um, for Manny, again, it'll just take, the right storyline and he's been on the road two years and with the guys it's more competitive there's more of them um and yeah i know that's a dream of his i think the one thing that sets him apart from other talent who come from different countries or from the independence is he understands the style of wwe and how different it is. And yeah. his role of playing a bad guy. Um, and expect, I mean, we don't have them anymore, but being able to listen to a crowd, like when we did have live events, I've learned so mm-hmm. much from watching him. Like he'll, like he critiques me all the time. Like you have no idea, but teaching me, how he does being able to listen to, not that we have that right now, but being able to listen to an audience and how to react and how to get those reactions um, is his, I guess, one of his many, I guess, attributes or things that makes him different. Yeah, yeah. Um, we saw Becky Lynch a few weeks ago announce her pregnancy and, and take some time away. Being that up close, you know, does it get you thinking? I mean, the proverbial ticking clock, is that just not in the charge for you? Um, I very much like to be in control. And if I already start thinking now, like, wait, what, what's my clock? Am I going to have babies? Like, am I too old? Like, what's going to happen? Do we have to have kids next year? I'll, like, drive myself crazy. I just, I still have goals and I still have, things that I want to do within inside the WWE. And if I put that added pressure on me, I might explode. <laughs> <laughs> is, it, is it something that's looming in the background? Because you know, whether you want to acknowledge the clock or there, does physiology exist, right? I mean, you're, you're, you're not going to start, or you're probably not going to start family at 50 years old. So uh, it is something that, that is looming there. Uh, so again, whether you, you want to acknowledge or not, it, is, is it there? Um, 
I think having the opportunity to wrestle Trish Stratus at SummerSlam and her having two babies and at her age and being able to come back on one of the big four pay-per-views, I go, if I want to have babies and come back at any time, I can. I think that's the one thing, the positive from it all, is you see women like Brie, you see Trish Stratus, Marie, uh, Tamina, Asuka, many women who aren't really talked about as being mothers, who are mothers, uh, Lacey Evans. I guess I just go, okay, there's not as that added pressure. But if I, like, woke up tomorrow and I was like, Manny, I want babies, I know you'd be 100% fine with it. Yeah, yeah. I didn't realize there was many moms, as, as you just mentioned there, and, and I guess it does speak to um, – it, it having changed, I mean, at least there was, it was once the perception that's pretty much the end of your career, right? If you decide to be a mom, you can't do both. But, so having that locker room of women like that, I go, oh, well, there are many women that do both. Like, that's the one thing I remember going into WrestleMania and talking about Asuka, just how much I respected her. Like, she's a mother. She's traveled over the world. She's in the U.S. now with a different company. Like, she just blew my mind. And no one really yeah. talks about that. No, I don't think most people are even aware that she is one. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right, Charles, thank you so much. I know uh, you've only got a little bit of a window here. I appreciate you talking. If I could, yes, ask, you for, if I could ask you for a favor, we're looking to put you on the cover of the magazine with the title belt. So anything you can do to hold on to it, it's really appreciated. <laughs> Me too. Thank you, Charles.